In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We can start this recollection and this meditation by expressing our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, truly present here in the Blessed Sacrament. The letter to the Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, now, and forever. And we ask you, Lord, for a great faith to believe that. Because what we see in the gospel is that people's lives are changed radically for the good, right, by meeting Jesus Christ. And they're changed very quickly, right, just in an instant of meeting our Lord. And so we can ask you, Lord, Lord, give me the grace tonight, now, as soon as, as soon as you want, Lord, to have a new encounter with you, another encounter with you that changes my life, that makes me more Christian. And one of these encounters we can take to our prayer tonight from the Gospel of Mark. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. It's a great scene, Lord, for us to see all of these people, this great crowd, thronging about him, trying to be as close to him as possible. And each one, they're all individuals, each one with some need, something they want Jesus to do for them. Maybe it's a spiritual need, Lord. Maybe they're sad or anxious or don't have meaning in their life and they've heard that you're a great teacher, inspiring preacher. Maybe it's some physical need, like this woman who has this flow of blood, this hemorrhage. She's been suffering for a long time. But they all have some problem, right? They all have some need to be there. And in their need, they're all trying to get closer to our Lord, as close as possible, even to touch him. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment For she said, if I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. And immediately the hemorrhage ceased and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. We think of how desperate and how anxious this woman must have been. And she keeps getting worse and worse. Economically, right? she's losing her money to these physicians and they're not helping physically. Probably also spiritually and psychologically starting perhaps to doubt her situation or doubt God's goodness. What is her future going to be like? Is this ever going to get better? We also know from scripture that that flow of blood, that hemorrhage 
made her ritually impure, which limited her contact with others, and especially limited her ability to pray, right, to pray publicly. Because that ritual impurity was considered contagious, right? So she had to keep her distance from people. So she's also suffering in a certain sense socially and therefore psychologically. Ancient social distancing, we, we, we can call it. And what does she do? She approaches Jesus with this need and with a great faith. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. And immediately the hemorrhage ceased and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. If we were to make a recipe of this miracle and of many other miracles like it in the gospel, it's not that complicated, right? There's three simple ingredients here. The first is this need, right? She's desperate and she's humble. She's humble enough to go to Jesus and and approach him for help. She's not trying to fix it on her own. She's no longer trustful of human resources. Those physicians have already disillusioned her of that. By the way, I always found that amusing. St. Mark mentions that the physicians uh, not only made it worse and made her broke, but, um, well, not only made her broke, but made it worse, right? <laughs> that, uh, and St. Luke, who traditionally is held to be a doctor, right? He tells the same story, but he leaves that part out. Right? He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't throw his profession under the bus. Right? And so that's the first ingredient, that need for Jesus to help her. And Lord, if you're going to make a radical change in my life, I have to realize with humility that I need your help that there's some wound in me, there's some hemorrhage in me that needs to be healed. And the second ingredient is her great faith, her faith that Jesus can do something about it. If I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. And then Jesus notices that touch of faith. Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. And the disciples were like, what are you talking about? Look, all these people around you, thronging about you, pulling on you, touching you, rubbing, rubbing up against you. And yet you say, who touched me? But there's something, Lord, about her contact, her touch, that's different. Perhaps there's a greater need. And certainly there's a great faith. If I just touch his garments, I shall be made well. But the woman, knowing what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling right after Jesus turns around and said, who did it? But the woman, knowing what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. 
Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Her faith, the second ingredient we could say of this miracle. And what's the third? Well, the third is the contact itself with Jesus. That she has to touch him. She has to get close to him. And probably it was hard for her, right? She's been infirm for 12 years. And so she's probably weak, physically weak. And there's a great crowd. It's so how did she do it? I don't know. But most likely she threw some elbows and, you know, cut the <laughs> scratch and crawl and yell at some people. Hey, get out of my way. You know? This scene's always... this. <laughs> This scene always reminds me of Rome when you would go to see the Pope, at least before the pandemic. I saw John Paul II and Benedict XVI a number of times. And if you see them in one of those public masses, whether outside or inside, there's always this massive crush at the railings right, of the pews to try to touch the Pope, to try to get his attention, pass him your baby or whatever the thing is. And yet, nevertheless, no matter how many people there, young people, right, old people, right, uh, um, big people, there were always these very small little nuns <laughs> who had the same habits on. And they were always right there, as close as possible. And I don't know how they did it, right, but it was something like this lady. They would just kind of elbow their way in there, you know. Fight, claw, scratch. <laughs> I don't know what their order is, but I like to call them the Sisters of Selective Charity. <laughs> because their constitutions are probably something like, you know, we love God, number one. We love the Holy Father, number two. And everyone else, well, every man for himself. Right? <laughs> But this lady was a little bit like that. And yet, and yet she makes it and she touches our Lord. And we know from the gospel, Lord, how important contact with you is for these miracles. We read, for example, in Luke chapter 4, as the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on each of them and cured them. And just a few days ago in the Gospel of the Mass, there was a passage, I can't remember, must have been Mark, where it says that they all just wanted to touch the hem of his cloak, and however as many touched it were healed. Contact with our Lord. And we need to apply this, these three steps, Lord, to our own life, right, to our own situation to our own wounds to our own hemorrhaging and what is it lord where do you want to heal me where do i need to be healed where's my spiritual or moral flow of blood because those are the things that god always wants to help us with right what makes us holier what makes us more trustful of him what makes us more humble what makes us above all more charitable those are the wounds that god wants to heal First, foremost, and in a certain sense, always. Lord, what's my need? And what's my level of awareness of my need for your healing, for conversion? 
And, you know, I don't know, in this uh, time of year, at least here in New England, right, we might be bleeding patience, right, <laughs> with the ice and the snow or just the short days, cold, right? It's a time of year that we can get a little bit weary because of the school year or whatever our profession is, right? Things can be kind of bleak in February. And so maybe, Lord, that's what I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding optimism or I'm bleeding patience. I don't have the energy or the willpower I need to love you more, to live my life as you want. Or maybe it's the patience on a grander scale, right? It's been uh, over two years since the world has gone insane um, with, with the pandemic. Right, and so maybe that has made us weary and, and caused us a little bit to question our faith or God's providence, or maybe we're bleeding a little bit of faith or trust in God, or again patience and the energy we need to have to be good Christians. Lord, what is it? Is it patience? Is it trust? Is it charity because I lack patience? Is it spiritual energy to do what I need to do quicker? and with more joy, right, with more hope. Lord, where have I been hemorrhaging and do I realize it? And do I come to you, Lord, to help me? And then my level of faith, do I truly believe, Lord, as Hebrews says, that you are the same yesterday, today, now, and forever. And so everything that Jesus does in the Gospels, he wants to do for you and for for me. Everything he does in the Gospels, he wants to do for us. And we can make an act of faith. Lord, I believe, I believe that you are my Lord and Savior. Savior in Greek means healer, soter. One who brings wholeness, health, health of soul and body. And then contact, right? Do I... Do what it takes, like this lady did, to have contact with our Lord. And maybe a little bit we have to fight through the crowd, like she did. And maybe it's the crowd of our of our other duties or the crowd of other concerns or people in our life that we have to find time for God. We have to find time, Lord, for contact with you. And especially right, the most privileged contact we, that we have with Christ is in the Blessed Sacrament, is when we receive him, with the body of Christ, and the priest puts him into our hands or onto our tongue. But for that, Lord, perhaps I need to be more resolute, single-minded, with more faith that it's, it's worth making the effort to get to Mass. It's worth making the effort to have your healing touch and confession. It's worth making the effort, Lord, to be in your presence in a time of prayer like this one. Because if we don't make the effort, right, it's a sign that, yeah, we don't really believe that he's going to help us or that he can. And it's also a sign that we're not really serious about our need, right? We're still thinking the physicians can handle it or I can somehow figure it out. Or YouTube will have a video about, you know... (laughs) Had to heal hemorrhages. <laughs> Good luck with that. Anyway. 
these three ingredients, and especially contact, contact with Jesus. This is St. Cyril on communion. A number of images that he puts out to help us realize what happens in communion, how close we are to God, to Jesus in communion. St. Cyril says, whoever receives communion is made holy and divinized in soul and body in the same way that water set over a fire becomes boiling. Communion works like yeast that has been mixed into dough so that it leavens the whole mass. Right after the dough is leavened, right, good luck finding the yeast, right? It's been chemically dissolved, transformed into the yeast, into the dough itself. And here's the most striking image, in my opinion. Just as by melting two candles together, you get one piece of wax... So I think one who receives the flesh and blood of Jesus is fused together with him by this communion. And the soul finds that he is in Christ and Christ is in him. Right, think about that, right? Taking two candles and melting them together. Well, good luck afterwards figuring out, okay, where does the one start and the other stop, right? They're going to be just one, one piece of wax, And Lord, these are, this is your doctrine. This is not just St. Cyril saying, oh, let's come up with interesting, you know, imaginative ways of talking about communion. Right? No, this is from the gospel. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Right? Abides in me and I in him. Such that my whole existence is my life. Right? And I live in you, Jesus, and you come to live in me. So that it's truly communion, right? Union with our Lord. And think about that. Think about how powerful that is. It's so powerful that the saints in the church teaches us that if we made one communion with the perfect dispositions, right? A faith of trust in our Lord, humility, desire for conversion. If we made one communion with good, perfect dispositions to get all the grace we could out of it, it's enough to make you a saint. It's just one. Lord, increase my faith and help me to approach you in communion with this great faith and with this great desire and this need, right? This kind of desperation to be healed. And this takes... Um, it takes a little bit of a rearrangement of our priorities and our way of thinking. You know, we're so practical and we're so, at least some of us are, um, practical and efficient that at times we might think, oh, you know, what I really need to do is work harder or be more ordered or uh, what I really need to do is just get my act together and then these other things will fall into place. And that's a natural way of thinking. And so we have to kind of reprogram ourselves to think more supernaturally. Because if we think that way first, well, then we'll never approach Jesus like this woman. Right? She's at her wit's end. And if we don't 
change that way of thinking from, you know, really relying on ourselves and really thinking, well, the real important thing is to kind of figure things out. And yeah, prayer is important too, because I don't want to go to hell or I'm a good Catholic or whatever, right? But it's just part of my life. If prayer doesn't become more primary, well, then we'll never have a contact with our Lord that really changes everything. And our Lord says it, uh, Lord, you teach us so clearly what's most important. He says, the greatest commandment is this, the Shema. Hear, O Israel. He doesn't quote that part of it, but he says, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And a second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But we can't just jump to the second one. We have to love God above everything. And that happens in a, in a special way, in an irreplaceable way in our prayer, in adoration, in sitting quietly at home, talking to God, making time for him, telling him you love him, going to church, going to adoration, going to mass. But if we don't do that, then we'll never love God above all things with our whole heart, with our whole soul, with our whole mind, with our whole strength loving him through everything we do. If we don't love him directly in our prayer, well then it's a, kind of a non-starter, right? He'll always be like kind of second or third. And we'll always be in that logic of, well, what really matters is me, right? Or other human beings helping me figure it out. And so perhaps, Lord, that's the, that's the hemorrhage that you see that perhaps I don't see as clearly, Right? We think, oh, I'm really bleeding over here because, you know, I'm impatient with my husband or with my children or with my coworkers. And our Lord sees that the real hemorrhage is you don't love God the way that God needs to be loved. Or you're not humble enough to come to me for the help that I really want to give you. Or you don't trust me enough to approach me with faith and, and constancy. And many times in our life, it's kind of paradoxical. The saints talk about this a lot. But they say this, that God will let someone keep falling into some sin. And, and you know, they don't like it and they don't even want to do it. Right? They're kind of sick of it. But they keep falling into it out of weakness. And it's very humiliating. Right? It could be something like impatience or laziness or impurity. And something that really bothers them. And the saints say that, well, God lets that happen. It's their fault. It's still a sin. But God lets it happen again and again and again. So they have this experience that, oh my gosh, I'm bad. And they keep trying on their own to fix it. And they keep reacting with pride. Oh, look how bad I am. Huh? Right? <laughs> I can't believe how bad I am. I'm so sick of this. And they keep falling. I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm bad. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Until one day they realize, yeah, I'm bad. Right? And I'm also proud. And so I've been working on this on my own. I've been too upset by my, de- my defects. And they go to our Lord finally like this woman who has, has used up all of her human resources and used up all of human means. And they go to him desperate right, and say, Lord, I need you. And that humility, that level of humil- humility, Lord, and that level of Desperation, we could call it, need for you, 
combined with faith, well, that changes the whole thing, or it changes the whole thing. Because it's no longer that Jesus is kind of a nice add-on to our life, but he becomes essential, right? Soter, Savior. We realize that we can't live without him. Without me, you can do nothing. Jesus says that in the parable or the image of the, of the vine and the branches in, in the Gospel of John. Right? I'm the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. And our human logic is like, well, that's not true. I do all sorts of things without Jesus. Right? Look how good I am. Hey, I'm bad in this thing over here, but I do this. And we don't realize how much we depend on him. And so it's good for us, Lord, to come to this, this situation of a deeper need. And that motivates us to get closer to our Lord. And so, Lord, perhaps we have a hemorrhage that we realize that we have. And we ask you to heal that. And we reach out to you with a touch of faith and try to impress you with our faith. But perhaps also, Lord, there's a hemorrhage that we're really not aware of. And that that's the one that God's trying to get us to be aware of and get us to, um, to approach him for. Blessed Alvaro del Portillo, who was the first successor of San Jose Maria, the head of Opus Dei, the first prelate of Opus Dei, saint, blessed, recounted that when he, he met San Jose Maria when he was just a young man. He was a university student and he was in his probably his early 20s. And he would recount things that San Jose Maria told him that struck him right in a deeper way, that really moved him. And one of the things that St. Josemaria told him once that really kind of struck him was, he who loves does more than he who does. He who loves does more than he who does. And I think that's important for us because for two reasons. One, it points out the priority over prayer and it points out the dangers of activism, right? Because we tend to think, well, how am I going to make things better? And we get busy, right? <laughs> I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to stop doing this. And everything is just activity, one form or another. And we fall into Marthaism. And Jesus reproaches Martha with the attitude of Mary, right? She has chosen the better part. One thing is necessary. Prayer in itself is more important, more effective than any other activity because it lets God work in us. It's love of God. But there's a second lesson from this phrase, right? He who loves does more than he who does which is that if we love and if we love God, if we pray, we'll actually do more. We won't do less. We'll do more and we'll do it better. Why? Because, Lord, we'll be, we'll be on your team. We'll be on your side. You will move us in the right way. We'll do things more confidently because we're doing them for the right reason and with God's help and with God's insight. And so it's not that... It's not that um, we'll just pray and never do anything else. No, if we pray, we'll figure out God's will for us, which is do a heck of a lot of good right throughout the day. But relying on him and in his presence and more humbly, with more trust, and therefore with much more peace, 
He who loves does more than he who does. Lord, does prayer have a certain priority in my life? Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Lord, whatever my disease is, whatever that hemorrhage is, it's a cause of a lack of peace. And you, Lord, are the Savior, the healer. Be healed of your disease. Go in peace. We go to Our Lady. Our Lady was the first who had our Lord living in her. And we are closer to our Lord in communion and in confession and even in our prayer life than any one of these people who just happened to touch his garment or who he laid his hands on. We have contact with the body of Christ, the whole Christ. But Our Lady had that first as his mother. And so we go to her, we ask her, teach us, Mary, to have a greater faith, a greater need for your son, and teach us how to let him live inside of us and teach us how to live in him. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.